Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, experimenters across the fruited plains of the universe. This is George, N2APB, one of your co-hosts for tonight. Joe, N2CX, is with us, as usual. And once again, we are very pleased and, and honored to have with us another co-host, uh, Frank, uh, N3PUU, is with us. And uh, once again, we have teamed up to have one heck of a good show tonight. So um, as, as it has been billed, um, we have a three-part show here tonight with Chat with the Designers. Um, we've had a lot of feedback indicating that the multiple, multiple uh, uh, topics for an evening is good because it kind of spreads around the interest and uh, keeps things lively. And we're going to need to move along quickly. So in, in that spirit, I'm going to introduce the three, sp the three sections for tonight. Well, the first of which is the Precision Audio, um, the Precision Arduino Clock, with uh, this time a remote seven-segment LED display. This is hot stuff. I mean, Joe, Frank, and I were, were really uh, humping along this week and getting some of the experimentation done and trying this and trying that, and just moments before the showtime here, I had a nice breakthrough, and I'll talk about that. The second part of the show has to do with tools for the homebrewer's bench. Now, some of this is obvious stuff, but if you're just into home brewing, just, just kind of started, or if you're like uh, many of us were back in the early days when you first uh, barely figured out which end of a soldering iron to hold on to, you, uh, you started using whatever tools you had around, and if you didn't have any tools or the right tools, you made do, and you, you would hack away at a, a piece of perf board or metal and and uh, just kind of do an adequate job. What we hope to do tonight is to point out in this section what uh, what some modest tools can do for your home brewing quality and enjoyment. And we kind of laid out uh, um, a bare minimum, or but a full complement of good tools that we, in our experience, has have found that uh, are very very useful to have in the bench, and they're readily available from your local stores and online. Not too much of it is uh, expensive at all, so you'll be able to do that. Joe is going to take the reins on that one, and uh, this is near and dear to his heart. The third section that we're talking about tonight is a regular one. It's a regular one that we plan on having in every episode. In fact, we started uh, doing that a while back, maybe around episode 25. But here we are in episode uh, 52, and we're picking it up again because it's really kind of an exciting thing. Each time that we meet, we're going to be introducing, at least for our benefit here, it might be an uh, old hat to some people, but we're going to be introducing and talking just a bit about a cool product. And uh, throughout our our homebrewing uh, experiences and, and browsing the Internet and talking on the different lists and working on the bench, we come across products from time to time that are just so over-the-top cool and um, helpful for us that we really want to share that on a regular basis. So tonight we're going to be speaking about the cool product of the month, and we're going to hit that topic toward the end of the program. But as most of you have seen, of course, the uh, from the whiteboard that we have posted, and hopefully everybody indeed has the whiteboard up in front of you, the uh, uh, it's the uh, weather band and same data receiver, a little module, a little breakout board, as they say, from SparkFun that has got tremendous potential. And I'll tell you, we've uh, Frank has been experimenting in this thing, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of that uh, when we get to it. Okay, uh, Joe or Frank, um, anything else to set the stage here? Have I forgotten uh, before we start rocking and rolling here? I think you got it covered, George. 
Okay, then. Once again, I hope everybody uh, has the whiteboard up in front of you. We use it uh, very integrally during the show here. And if you're listening on the podcast a little bit after the program is aired, uh, hopefully you'll be able to have the, uh, the whiteboard up in front of you there as well. And uh, most of us have been here before, so you know that there's a text bar at the bottom of uh, the, at least the Windows client, and you can text uh, questions asynchronously to the team here or to anybody else. So you almost have like a sidebar conversation if there are extra questions or you want extra prompting or extra detail on one or more of the topics that are verbally being discussed, you can uh, you can put it in there. All right, so let, let's get into things here. And if you dial down on the whiteboard to phase, or what did I call it, phase one? Part one. Part one of tonight's program concerns the remote seven-segment LED display for the Precision Arduino clock. Now, the big surprise, of course, uh, that you hadn't seen until moments before showtime was the picture of a plug board sitting there, which is actually hanging on a wall, um, hanging on my station wall right in front of me. And uh, it is uh, displaying the time from uh, a... My Precision Arduino clock, Arduino, which is sitting off to the side, sending it wirelessly over to the um, remote node's XB controller that you see in the photograph here. And that's the blue little blue board just above the display. So there's a kind of a lead into what this is. I have to kind of recap where we've been. Um, somebody smart once said that you never really know where you're going unless you keep in mind where you've been. And uh, Joe and I and, and Frank in the later episodes have, have been having have had some plans as far as where we're taking this whole thing, and it's starting to come together. Sort of like George Pappard uh, and the A-Team, you know, you love it when the plan comes together. Well, this is, we're starting to see it now. And I mentioned two or three episodes ago how something wonderful is going to happen. This is part of the the the, uh, the veiling is is coming off of there, and we're going to see what this all means. We started <clears throat> we started with the actually it sounds, seems like ages ago. Joe, wasn't it two or three episodes ago? We sort of said what is an Arduino, and we went through some of the, maybe even four. We we skipped one in between, but uh, wasn't it that long ago that we were just talking about the basics of an Arduino, and then there's an Uno and a Dumilinov and a Nano and so on. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been uh, been a, a little journey since then, hasn't it? Indeed. And uh, <clears throat> when we started back then, you know, it all to me, frankly, I, I was kind of foreign a little bit to the uh, or the the and the Arduino was a little bit foreign to me and maybe to a lot of you. I think a couple of you guys here uh, are, are kind of aficionados in this, but. We've been learning all the way along since that point, and frankly, I've become very, very comfortable and uh, to a certain degree pretty capable in, in doing some of the things that we've been talking about doing as far as controlling I.O. devices, reading sensors, integrating new modules, different uh, popping different uh, shields or hardware modules onto the Arduino and so on. But anyways, we started with the, uh, the basic Arduino displaying time on an LCD. In fact, you'll see that uh, if you dial down just a little bit more, you'll see uh, under the experiment area, you'll see the white breadboard on the right-hand side that depicts kind of like that's been the evolving breadboard that we've had. The blue Uno uh, <clears throat> in uh, kind of the middle of the, of the breadboard, um, just above the LCD and just to the left of the breadboard, the wireless uh, uh, plug board is what I call it, containing the RTC chip and uh, we had added a uh, an XB module on there, and off on the left-hand side of that white breadboard is the Rookie, which we use to re uh, to synchronize with WWV tones, 
at the top of the minute, we are able to synchronize the time as displayed in the LCD to the top of the minute from WWV, from CHU, or from an external source, such as uh, uh, GPS. Now, our buddy Joe, uh, JJ, uh, Joe, KC2VGL, is very much into um, GPS, and with his guidance, we have been integrating GPS capabilities step-by-step, step, kind of behind the scenes, such that we are able to synchronize our clock even to a GPS, one pulse per second um, signal going in through um, a bit of a, an FET. So that breadboard has been evolving um, for a number of uh, time, a number of episodes, and we have uh, we've been evolving the software that goes on to the to the Arduino to control all this. The sketch is what it's called. The sketch is the software. Now the uh, the cool part that we introduced last week was it seemed maybe to some like a little bit of a sidebar, a tributary to the river of knowledge that we have been flowing here in in a chat with the designers session. How do you like that alliteration, Joe? And um, we have uh, we introduced the XB RF link, a two point generally a two point four gigahertz RF link that is modestly priced at uh, anywhere from seventeen to thirty dollars, depending on what kind you get and its capabilities. That little blue square that you see there in the in the diagram, um, the blue circuit board, and plugged into the plug board on the right hand side as well as plugged into the remote one on the left hand side. And with that we can establish data going back and forth uh, from uh, from two nodes. And what we're coming to call the breadboard on the right-hand side with the Arduino, we're calling it the base station because we're yet another <clears throat> tributary or maybe an upcoming stream that we're going to be hopping into is the ham station mesh networking. So what we are developing here along the way and kind of exploring as we go along the way is, the, uh, is a mesh network. Uh, a mesh is a, uh, three or more nodes that are remote, uh, that are um, connected wirelessly to each other and doing something, whether it's passing data or controlling remote devices or sending data back to the base station. The um, remote uh, nodes plus a base station constitute a mesh network that we are considering for how it might be used in a ham station. So we chose our path to be playing with time first because time is Time is an un, uh, that is, is an elusive thing sometimes, and we hams like to get control over it. And what better way than to show it in a clock? And then we can use some of the uh, the control signals coming from a controlled clock for communications, uh, synchronization, low power communications, for uh, rather precise schedule and transmission timing. And uh, that's why we chose the time as as a bit of a factor in uh, for the Arduino. Now, what we wanted to do also was to integrate this XBRF link with the time module or the time capabilities that the Precision Arduino Clock Project offers us. So along the way, we said, wow, wouldn't it be kind of cool to have a remote clock hanging on the wall, for example? And it's kind of tough to see some LCDs, you know, LCDs, sometimes this one here that I'm using is, is not even backlit. Um, and I just get a good angle on it in order to uh, to get the good contrast. But it's a hard thing to see usually. But it's nice to have bright LEDs. I love blue LEDs. I'm going to get one of those modules instead of green LED. And I'm going to have blue LEDs. And uh, I'm going to see if we can find some larger ones as well. But we were fortunate enough to find this uh, seven-segment, four-digit, multiplexed 
LED array from uh, Adafruit Technologies. And uh, the part numbers are given in the schematic. And um, it's the one, two, two cool things, two very cool things about this display is that it is, uh, it is multiplexed and it is controlled by I squared C. Joe, can you, uh, can you go, go into those two aspects just for a few moments? Give me some, give myself a breath here. But as far as like what kind of, what benefits come about from a multiplexed I squared C controlled LED array? Okay, yeah, that it is uh, two distinct things. The multiplexed idea is that um, seven-segment display has, uh, well, seven segments. So to be able to individually light the segments, you would need eight wires, uh, a common uh, anode or common cathode, depending on uh, which type of uh, LED display you had, and then an individual wire for each of the uh, each of the seven segments. Well, the multiplexing has a chip that... Uh, uh, you can take in a, a binary coded decimal, a four-bit uh, code, three-bit code, uh, four-bit code, and uh, uh, control those seven segments with only basically four wires, a ground and, and four data wires. Um, that's one level of abstraction. It makes it easier to drive with fewer pins. But even beyond that, you can use something called I squared C, which is a uh, um, serial link. Uh, with which you can communicate sending bits serially. Uh, it consists of a, um, three wires, a ground, data, and a clock, and you send the bits in a certain pattern uh, one bit at a time along with uh, some framing information. So what that means is it, when you're driving a display is that instead of, uh, instead of having to have uh, eight wires for one digit or eight times uh, however many digits you have, you can send the whole thing over a single pair of uh, wires and a ground. To, uh, to make the communication uh, much less clumsy. So you don't need um, eight or more uh, data channels. If you're going over data, you only need one, one channel. Makes it very simple to uh, send data back and forth uh, between a computer or whatever and uh, a display. Yeah, simple to control and lower power since we don't have to light all of the LEDs all at, um, at, the, at the same time. And... Uh, the uh, the multiplexed operation takes care of uh, putting those digits up <clears throat> um, in, the, in the right order, and uh, you don't even notice uh, that's the case. So it's pretty light on the batteries, all things considered. Frank, do you want to take just a second to recap? And I'm I'm talking like maybe just two minutes at most. Um, the uh, the uh, XB and the experiments that we did last week, between last week and this week, that. Uh, and in this case here, you recall that I'm operating still in transparent mode. So the base station is transmitting text in uh, the text um, characters of the time. The time that's displayed here is 19 hours, 13 minutes. And the digits 1913 are transmitted from the base station to the remote station. And the XB on the remote station is taking in that data. But can you kind of uh, just recap the, the mechanics under, behind that uh, for our uh, for those who might not have uh, stayed uh, stayed in tune with the XB conversation from last week, sure. As uh, George commented on a little earlier, the XBs are small uh, wireless data modems essentially. They operate on a standard called 802.15.4, which is a standard that uh, dictates the lowest level of the networking protocols. Uh, the XB modules come in two series, Series 1 and Series 2. One is not necessarily better than the other. It all depends on your application. 
Series 1 modules use 802.15.4 directly, whereas the Series 2 modules build on top of 802.15.4 with another protocol called ZigBee. And that allows for, amongst other features, the mesh network that uh, George spoke about earlier. And one thing that is uh, very nice about mesh networking is it is a peer-to-peer configuration. And by definition, the network is self-healing. So if the communication is going uh, from node A through node B over to node C, and node B goes away, the end nodes, A and C, will interrogate the network and locate another path to send that data. And that makes mesh networking very powerful. Uh, Does that sum it up for you, George? It does. Thanks, Frank. And uh, this leads us to the point um, of of excitement, uh, epiphany, if you will, um, that I had relative to this remote node. Now, some of you might recall that uh, we were talking about it maybe in the uh, maybe um, after the show uh, last time or the time before, and I was saying, well, gee whiz, you know, we've got a remote node and don't need that much processing. Maybe we could use a a uh, the pickaxe control, a little controller called the pickaxe that's present on the rookie board that most of you have. Um, because that's the uh, that's a green board that's used for synchronizing with the WWV tones. And in doing that, we take the pickaxe controller off of that because we don't use it. So most of you had it around. And it was my intention. Joe and I were kind of figuring out how we could maximize the, uh, the usage of all the parts that uh, we have and you guys are collecting for this project as we're evolving. And we said, well, gee was maybe we can put a pickaxe on that remote node. And, and again, I'm looking... I'm looking at the remote node that's hanging on my wall in the photograph here that shows 19 hours, 13 minutes. And um, we said, uh, you know, well, we'd have to, okay, we'd have to program the um, the pickaxe to communicate with the XB to, you know, get the serial stream from the XB and then to control I squared C bus to, you know, display the date and the time that is. Well, all of that is doable, and I won't get into the details and some of the the challenge is with that, I said, ah, what the heck? Let me put the Arduino on there for the sake of the, the program's coming up and we had to get the, all the material prepared and, and posted and whatnot. I just used an Arduino. And in fact, if you had seen the pages earlier today, the whiteboard from last night and earlier today, you would have seen, instead of that long, slender, rectangular board there that I will call the RBBB, letters R, Romeo, <laughs> uh, B, Bravo, B, Bravo, Bravo, and... Uh, that RBBB board, which stands for what, Frank? A real basic, what is it? That's the really bare bones board. <laughs> really bare bones board, the RBBB. That's an Arduino chip on there. Well, Frank and I were chatting over, uh, we had a club meeting, New Jersey QRP club meeting on Saturday. We were kind of comparing notes and figuring out what we wanted to do. And it came to, it dawned on us that, hey, you don't even need to have a full-blown $30 Uno Arduino board sitting on that uh, breadboard controlling controlling the display and getting data from the XB um, radio node. What if you just had the um, the Arduino chip? Well, son of a gun, that's what this little RBBB is, and the next iteration that you see is likely going to be just the bare chip itself, which you can get from Adafruit Technologies, from SparkFun, from uh, maybe another resource or two, and probably even cheaper yet on, on, on eBay. You can get that chip for what, Frank? About four ninety-five in quantities, in low quantities. 
Yeah, if you're looking for the pre-programmed chip, they go between 5 and $6 to compensate the folks that are doing the uh, Arduino bootloader programming. If you're willing to program the chip yourself, I think you can get them down to about 3 bucks in single quantities. 3 bucks. Now, that's even cheaper than the, uh, the basic uh, uh, the, the pickaxe. So now what we're talking about, let me just kind of put this into perspective. If you don't have the, uh, um, the gleam uh, that, 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 that I have here on this thing here, for a dedicated node function that such as this display, we can put an Arduino chip controller on it and have it be as programmable as a full-blown Uno or um, um, a Nano and for a whole heck of a lot less uh, cost. Now, when I say full programmable, obviously there's no USB port there. There's in the single chip version. There's uh, you know, I got a one has to add a, a crystal or a resonator to to make the chip oscillate. You have to add a regulator uh, to take uh, what the nine volts I've got showing here. Take that down to five volts, and uh, so there's a couple of extra little penny parts. But for programming the Arduino chip, all I did was I that is the very Arduino chip. Actually, an Atmega 328 that was in my Uno. I took it out. I put it in this little carrier called the RBBB, which is just just has a regulator and a couple of capacitors and an LED and a push button on it, as you can see. And I didn't need the entire um, our, uh, Uno uh, board because it's the same pinout that controls the the display, the I squared C of the display, and the XP, it takes the serial data from the XP. And um, so, as I said, if we uh, if we decide to do this, and I have a feeling we're going to, we can get these chips, we can get them programmed for three to four dollars, and uh, it's just a magnificently powerful little dedicated controller that has the programmability in the full IDE and the richness of the development environment and all of the libraries available to it that any of the Arduinos has. And it's just, it's just terribly uh, exciting. Um, Terry, when you, when you uh, get a chance to reach over to turn off your mute, I want to turn it over to you just for a second to ask you a question as far as what do you think about this process. But uh, we can take this kind of an approach for nodes that are clocks, that are endpoint controllers for, this can be up on top of your tower, for example, yeah, either sending down wind direction and wind speed from a little weather vane, or it could be taking control from your Arduino base station that happens to be sitting on your desk. And uh, and uh, what you can be doing is telling in your rotator to turn to a certain azimuth um, and uh, to point to, to Europe or point to south or wherever and uh, without any intervening wires. But this little controller, this, uh, what is it, 28-pin dip chip is, is all you need. And if when it comes time to change it around, all you do is take the chip out of that little carrier or out of the plug board or out of your, your development board that you're using for that end node, that remote node, pop it into your Uno, program it to your heart's content, and when you're done, take it out and put it back in the dedicated uh, node. Terry, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I think it's a great concept, a great idea. I've uh, I also was thinking about buying a bunch of those um, chips from SparkFun or from somewhere with the um, uh, with the uh, Arduino software with it preloaded, so that you can just pop it onto the Uno, program it, and drop it and pull it back out. That re it really makes it great. And the other the other great thing about it is it's all a common piece of hardware. So no matter what you do, you're using the same piece of hardware. You're not getting into picks versus Arduinos versus um, whatever other kind of uh, processor. So it's a great reuse of um, of uh, the same hardware over and over. 
That's exactly what I'm thinking of, too. Um, over the years, I've programmed in seemingly just about every language for every processor that's come along. Um, and after a while, it gets old. Uh, sometimes people are excited. Uh, John, for example, over there in, in the AQRP group is uh, really excited about every new chip that comes along. And, and rightly so. They're great capabilities. But for me, every time a new chip comes along, I have a great big sigh and... Uh, you know, say that, oh my goodness, here's another whole set of rules and configuration and language peculiarities and interfacing peculiarities that I need to take care of. By focusing on one environment, such as this, the Arduino, um, and the sketches that are used to comprise the programs, or used to build the programs, uh, there's a lot of commonality that takes away that distraction of multiple processors and different interfaces and different languages and things like that. So I can focus on the project. I can focus on the uh, getting getting the getting the project working, getting the function done. Not as much, uh, you know, the, the path of getting uh, the not of uh, learning and understanding the processor. And so on. I can do that. I just don't want to do it for like 10 different processors. So that's that's pretty cool. Anyways, this is a bit of a potpourri or a hopscotching around the, the latest product edition here, the latest edition of uh, the Precision Arduino Clock. And we call it Experiment 3. Uh, this time it's the third major one, which is the radio link for the remote clock. I've got a listing of all the sketches. Actually, there's only two sketches, two software pieces. There's software that goes on the, on the remote node that you see there with the LED displaying 19 hours, 13 minutes. And then there's the base Arduino node sketch. And that is the same sketch, the very same sketch that we used uh, last time and time before. I think we were up to a clock version 2C. And <clears throat> what I did was I just added some extra capability in there to send the time data over the XP unit. So I added the Arduino library, a little one line, boom, the library's in there. And then I call um, a function that says send data. And that's all I did. Every time I go to display a, um, a, a character or a, dis a, t a digit to the LCD, I also send it over to the XB. And that sends it over to the remote node for displaying. And uh, it was pretty straightforward. So both of those sketches are there. The schematics are shown here in the pages. You, um, you undoubtedly have seen it by now, just kind of scrolling around. And uh, you'll see the simplicity, the absolute simplicity, the joyful simplicity of the remote node um, schematic. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's fun. Literally, that happened within five minutes. I went from the Arduino Uno being rubber banded onto that plug board to having the the R B B B B B B B um, on there containing my little my uh, Edmega 328 chip. Okay, uh, before we wrap up this little segment here, and, and I'll turn the mic over to Joe because Joe's going to guide us through the tools portion of the of the program. I wanted to kind of open it up here, and if anybody has questions about the Precision Arduino clock, the software approach that we've been taking, question about the schematic, question about the display, I squared C, XB, power consumption. What temperature is it on the dark side of the moon? Whatever you might want to have on your mind, please speak up now. Say, hey, George, I wanted to drop a, a small comment in here. Sure. Yeah, it has to do with um, particularly the RBBB or some of the other uh, uh, non-UNO, Demulinov, whatever um, um, Arduino clones, shall we say. Uh, the one thing you have to watch, and I, I think I think I'm correct when I say it for the RBBB, there are different versions of software that track the the um, Arduino, the real Arduino versions. You just have to be careful 
to uh, know which version of software you have on there. <clears throat> Pardon me, so that when you use the Arduino IDE, uh, you can pick the right one. And I believe Frank said that the RBBB has the Demolinov software on there. So when you use the IDE, you just have to tell it that that's the module you're using. Otherwise, uh, you're going to do a world of confusion with it not being able to program the device. Not complicated, but just something you have to keep in, in mind. Yeah, a way to think about that is that the uh, bootloader built into each of these Atmel chips, it's the Arduino bootloader, or actually there's another name for it, but um, it's the um, it's the bootloader that allows you to communicate with the IDE, as you said, is version specific to the kind of board it is, um, whether it's the um, the Uno, the Nano, the Dimulinov, the Duo, the Mega, uh, there's, there are a number of versions out there, each with different capabilities of the uh, of the Atmega chip that uh, is the controller um, but it's actually built it's, it's specific to the chip not as much the board as, as what I just sort of found out is I took the board uh, the, the chip out of my uno board and I plugged it into this RBBB carrier and for all intents and purposes it is an uno and um, if I swap them back and forth, which is what I'll intend on doing probably for uh, my own development and evolution of this project, um, I won't have to change it at all, but that is something to be aware of, and that's thank you for pointing it out, Joe. And um, I could have easily have accomplished this by um, using the chip that came in the RBBB, which happened to be a uh, Dumilinov, and um, just uh, kind of kept it in that fashion. If from a functional perspective, it would have worked just as well as the uh, as the Uno. Okay, any questions before we move on away from this topic for now? Um, maybe later on we'll talk about some of the next experiments as far as the Arduino clock is concerned. But for now, we'll, we'll kind of cap the discussion and move ahead. But any final question for, uh, first? Real brief question, George. Sure thing, Al. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, have you heard of HSMM mesh networking? I've heard of it, but I don't know about it. Frank, are you on that, top of that? I, I, I thought HSMM was high-speed multimedia, but that's about all I know about it. Anyhow, uh, I have a I have nodes in my shack that I use uh, for the mesh network. Uh, they're getting ready to change the name to Broadband Hamnet. But anyhow, I was I'm looking forward to interfacing this into my nodes here. Over. Oh, that sounds exciting! Please keep us surprised of uh, what you find out along the way. Standards are great, as, and as Joe often points out, it's we are fortunate to have so many of them. Um, and uh, if there's something out there, maybe we want to evolve toward it or at least interface to it or whatever. Um, thanks for contributing that, Al. Appreciate that. Okay, so uh, if there are no other comments, let's, uh, let's move over to the tools section, uh, part two of the program, which uh, if you slide down, slide down, slide down until you see the next, uh, the blue line that goes all the way across the whiteboard, you'll see part two, favorite homebrewing tools and suppliers. Joe had a a ball working up the material for this and I was racing to keep up with him with all the material that with all the links and tools and different things that he had uh, was pumping over my way to get onto the whiteboard so Joe why don't you kind of take it away and and tell us what you have here okay yeah thank you George yeah we're looking for a topic that would be of general interest and uh, of course men and their tools are inseparable uh, we all we all have an attachment there so it seemed like kind of a natural. Now the the order these are presented in is no uh, there's no particular order. It was just as things occurred to me as I was jotting down a list. So I'll just go through them briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. These are some tools that I found that are useful. 
uh, and have been recommended in some cases. Um, and uh, uh, some notes about them. The one thing I want to point out is you'll notice there are several suppliers here. Um, when I can, I often buy things from Harbor Freight. Um, Harbor Freight stuff is cheap. And fortunately for me, uh, in the uh, suburban Philadelphia area, I have, I have two of them within 10 miles and four of them within uh, 20 miles. So they're very available. On the other hand, um, if I were if I were in construction or if I were doing this commercially, I would probably get higher quality tools. But for the hobbyist, for the most part, the, uh, the Harbor Freight stuff uh, works just fine. So many of the links you'll see are Harbor Freight. And just a side note on that, several years ago, I, I had to do a lot of house rebuilding. Many of the tools I bought were Harbor Freight. They were adequate for the job, and, and some, of the, uh, some of the contractors I had uh, to assist me turned up their nose at Harbor Freight. Um, but, of course, they used their darn things for 10 years. I was only using them for six months, so they worked just fine. The first thing is something that um, I heard mention of on, uh, on the web. It's a uh, – uh, those of you who've been around homebrewing may be familiar with uh, uh, what AMQRP popularized as island pad cutting. It's cutting um, isolated pads on a uh, piece of printed circuit board to uh, solder components between. Anyway, um, a one suggestion for a, a pad cutter has been um, – a, uh, a rotary weld cutter, which is available from Harbor Freight. Uh, there's a picture of it here, and it's handy. It will work. Unfortunately, the pads are a little big, but uh, the um, there's another another source, another item that has been recommended is uh, using a a brad point uh, wood bit set. Now, using a wood bit is not that bad on printed circuit board because you're just trying to to um, route the copper away. So the fact that it's intended for wood is not that big a deal. There's an embedded video uh, I recommend you look at that's on the whiteboard so that you can see how you can modify, how you can uh, optimize the Brad Point bits using a file. And it shows techniques for using this to, uh, to uh, uh, using it to cut the pads. Uh, another item that all of us have is a digital wallometer. And those of us who have ever bought anything from Harbor Freight have always gotten one of their cheap uh, digital multimeters. It's, it's, uh, it's something you go to all the time. It's not real accurate. They're not necessarily accurate, and it's not calibrated. But it's handy as heck, and Harbor Freight sells them for as little as $2.99. So, shucks, I've got a couple around the house. i got one in a car. I've got one in a garage. Another tool that uh, has been very handy over the years, both George and I have them, is a Harbor Freight uh, benchtop drill press. This thing, again, you know, if I worked in a machine shop, using it day in and day out, I'd buy something more expensive. But for hobbyist use, uh, it's great. Uh, the cost, as I recall, is something like uh, $70 or $80. It goes on sale now and again for, for uh, probably 20 bucks less. Uh, next item is a um, hand punch, which uh, I had a, trying to remember, Gardner Denver or somebody, commercial thing years ago that I used. I used it back in the 70s to breadboard at a company I, I was uh, working with. Uh, Harbor Freight sometimes has these. Northern Tool often has them. There's a link for here. Um, what you do is you can use it to either, you got holes in metal with it, but uh, it's good for cutting holes in mint tins cleanly. And it's also good for cutting out uh, so-called Manhattan pads of PC board material, um, various sizes. And if you're cutting a lot of them out, uh, hint is <clears throat> don't hold the darn thing in your hand. Your hand will get very tired. Put it in a vise. <clears throat> Mount the main piece of the vise and just pump the handle with your hand so you don't wear out. Joe, Another handy device. Uh, comment? That was me, Joe. I just wanted to make a, a humorous comment. One, one Atlanticon, 
we had supplied uh, Manhattan-style kits. Uh, I think it was for the island. No, it wasn't for the islander. It was for something else. And you and I were, uh, in the days preceding Atlanticon, we were cutting out uh, pads, like using this tool from, um, you know, uh, 16th-inch circuit uh, copper clad. And uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things we were cutting out, and we both had blisters uh, (laughs) just in time for Atlanticon, but we had our pads. Yes, indeed. I do remember that. <laughs> Lots of fun. Um, another another handy item, in fact, we've used it for some kidding for AMQRP and NJQRP, is a, a benchtop uh, combination shear and, and uh, brake uh, from Harbor Freight. I'm not sure this is exactly the model. George and I both have one. Very, very handy. It will cut uh, thin sheet metal, and it will cut printed circuit board. And uh, uh, we've both used them for cutting Printed circuit stock, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kits using this, and it's still going strong. can also be used to uh, bend metal, um, thin sheet metal, steel, or pardon, preferably aluminum. Um, costs somewhere in the area of 150 bucks, which sounds expensive, but if you do much metal bending or shearing, it's well worth it. The one thing you have to concern yourself with is that uh, it's heavy. It's probably 70 or 80 pounds, so there are some shipping charges, and the... Uh, the delivery truck driver is going to gripe at you and drop it on your front door because your wife certainly is not going to take it into the house. Um, drill bits. Many of the drill bits I use frequently are um, just common Harbor Freight drill bits. We have a picture here showing a variety of um, uh, individual drill bits and some step drills. Step drills are particularly handy for uh, for cutting larger hulls, um, and you only need one bit to to handle a, a number of sizes. If you use it carefully, they're also good with uh, mint tins or other thin sheet metal. Um, I say in here vanadium coating. It's not vanadium. I think it's titanium nitride coating. That's the yellow color you see on the uh, uh, on the whiteboard. The drills with this coating um, tend to be a bit harder and last longer. Uh, if you're drilling printed circuit stock, you're going to dull them pretty quickly. I, I know from experience. Another very handy tool that George and I have just come into lately, working with some uh, power amplifiers and uh, power supplies, trying to measure the temperature, particularly of uh, uh, power transistors, is a, a non-contact uh, te- uh, infrared thermometer. This one from Harbor Freight is currently on sale for only $29.95. If you look at the uh, picture in the, on the whiteboard, there's a little line coming out from the front of it. What it has is a, a uh, laser uh, an internal laser that you point at what you want to measure the temperature of uh, so that you can go precisely to the exact spot. And then it receives uh, infrared energy back from the from the thing you're trying to measure uh, temperature of, and it displays the temperature on a, on a liquid crystal display. Very, very handy uh, for, like I say, measuring a power transistor heat, particularly if it's, if it's buried in a chassis somewhere. And uh, it's non-contact, so it operates very, very quickly and handily. Uh, another handy tool, very handy tool, small mini grinder. Again, Harbor Freight won't say much more about it, but it's a small bench grinder. Uh, very good, costs in the area $30 or $40. And a very handy tool for home brewers is the next thing. It's a it's a bench top, four inch bench top uh, table saw. Very very good for cutting uh, plastic and thin metal. Um, if you have any of the uh, uh, connectors, the uh, 10th inch space connector uh, pin strips, this is excellent for cutting them to size. Cuts very cleanly and does a good job. Um, it, it comes with a diamond blade and it will cut printed circuit board stock, but it's a little crude for that. Let me take a break for a second and see if anybody has any questions or comments. Yes. 
Good, Pete. Um, very good. I, uh, one use of that infrared uh, non-contact thermometer is when you've got push-pull or parallel transistors, you can see if they're all heating up to the same point or their ballast resistors if it's in a power supply. But really, what I really want to tell people about is the best way to put holes exactly where you want them. And this took me years to realize. I've had one of these uh, for, for a long time now from Harbor Freight. I used to buy them from industrial machine suppliers, is a center drill. And uh, like I said, I didn't learn about this until oh, 10 years ago or so. These are short, very fat uh, drills with uh, sharp points. And the concept is, is you put them in a drill press and you bring them down on a piece of steel or any other kind of metal or plastic or whatever, and the drill does not flex and does not move. It goes exactly where you want it, so you don't have to center punch anything because center punching isn't all that accurate, as I discovered when making telegraph keys. So uh, the uh, center drill countersink set, you get a set of five of them in different sizes from Harbor Freight. It's number 42280. I'll put that on the text uh, box in a second. And uh, very, very highly recommended. Thank you, Pete. That's uh, that's a good suggestion. Yeah, I have uh, some issues with uh, trying to drill precisely too, and uh, that's a that's a good uh, good tip. I'll certainly keep that in mind. Anyone else with any uh, questions or comments? Yeah, this is Alan. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, um, I found that uh, that little meter that you showed on the uh, the thing there. If you look at the flyers in the Sunday newspaper. Uh, the Harbor Freight Flyer, uh, if you've got a store close to you like I do, uh, the Harbor Freight uh, Flyer often has a coupon uh, for a given item for free. Sometimes it's a flashlight, sometimes it's a tape measure, and sometimes it's that meter. And as long as you bring that, that uh, coupon in and buy anything else, no matter what it is, you can get that thing for free. So I picked up uh, two of those and I gave one to my nephew who's just uh, starting to learn electronics. So... Uh, and it even comes with a battery, so you have the meter craps out, you get a battery for nothing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's a good idea. As, as a matter of fact, I did that. Uh, I got one of the free ones, and uh, <laughs> I used the uh, the test leads on the original one had uh, uh, broken, uh, come apart. I used the test leads from the free one on the on the other one. Haven't even used the second one yet. Very good, uh, very good comment. I'd forgotten about that, but I do take advantage of it. Okay, uh, moving right along because I don't want to don't want to drag this out too long. Um, I have used uh, tin snips. There's some Stanley snips indicated in the uh, um, the whiteboard here, which are similar to the ones I've had. You can get them from Granger or other good industrial suppliers. These are good um, forged tin snips. You don't want to buy cheap ones, but for doing gross cuts of sheet metal and even printed circuit board stock, they're very very handy. Um, I've used the same pair for 30 years now, and I can't tell you how many hundreds of printed circuit boards I've gone through with them. Very, very good uh, and, and solid. You had aviation snips and the rest of that, but they don't hold up like a, like a very good pair of uh, good forged tin snips. I wouldn't use a Harbor Freight uh, pair for this. Similarly, talking about quality, um, uh, I, I have used a number of hand tools over the years. I have a certain set of um, uh, flush cutters, and um, wire strippers and needle nose pliers, forceps and um, uh, tweezers that I use. And uh, what I found is that uh, uh, DigiKey and Mauser have a number of them that are very good. Stuff from Radio Shack and Harbor Freight is okay, but it's not as good. But um, there's a micro center 
computer store near me. They have an excellent selection of very high quality things. You can go into the store and look at them and see, you can tell right off that they're high quality. Uh, so I recommend them. They're, they're very, very good. Very, very good. Um, and to get to uh, another one of Pete's comments, if you use a center punch, you can't get exactly on. Well, that's true. But quite often I use uh, uh, an automatic center punch. It's a spring-loaded thing that's indicated with a Harbor Freight to add here. It's often close enough. If you're doing real fine work, probably his technique with the other drills is good, but uh, that's a handy technique. Um, yeah, Alan uh, mentions that Exalate brand tools are very good. They are good. Uh, there used to be radio stores around where you could buy the darn things, but that's what uh, Digikey and Mauser sell. Very, very good, uh, high-quality uh, hand tools. Okay, um, a universal tool that you use for a lot of things, for drilling small holes, for um, uh, grinding things. Um, Maxim even has an app note on uh, making uh, uh, surface mount breadboards using a Dremel tool and a, a diamond, uh, diamond bar. Very, very handy tool. You can get them for both... Uh, um, both powered with an AC cord or uh, cordless, um, handy high-speed uh, tool with a variable speed to it. Again, Harbor Freight has one that's cheaper. Um, I would buy the good quality. I have my original Dremel tool that's at least 20 years old, still going strong. The only time I bought a second Dremel was I bought one with a rechargeable battery. It's handy uh, so you don't have that uh, tail of the, uh, the power cord uh, going around. Um, another item I found very useful when you're doing, uh, it's not Manhattan construction as I indicated here, and it's not a 50-watt iron, it's an 80-watt Unger soldering iron. I was able to find it at uh, my local uh, uh, Home Depot. Uh, they don't always carry it, but when you're trying to solder printed circuit board uh, enclosures or trying to solder uh, copper sheet, you need something with a lot of heat to it, a lot of heat mass. A big hunkin' soldering iron like this, about $30, is handy for it. Uh, you can use a soldering gun, but I find it better to have something with a good thermal mass to it. Um, you have to be careful because it's so hot that you'll delaminate printed circuit board if you hold it on for too long. does a good job. And uh, finally, I think the tool we suggest is um, it's an Xtronic uh, 4000 series hot air rework and soldering iron station. It's a temperature-controlled soldering iron and a temperature-controlled hot air machine that... Uh, you use when you're working with the surface mount components. Um, very fine tip soldering iron with a number of tips to it and some other assorted hand tools. Uh, controllable heat and it displays on the device what heat you have. And also it has a hot air um, um, handle to it and gun so that you can heat little surface mount components and pull them right off the board. Very, very good for um, yeah, building uh, surface mount stuff or for reworking surface mount stuff. Uh, it's about $130, I believe. There are others who make similar ones, but uh, we found that the Xtronic uh, 4000 stuff is, is uh, good quality, and it holds up, does a good job. Uh, you buy somebody else's, you know, you, you take your chances on whether or not it's good. Now, if you buy a Heiko or somebody else, it's going to be twice the price. So the link is here, and now and again it goes on sale. Very, very good device. Uh, thinking of other tools I didn't mention are fly cutters, um, uh, nibbling tools, and some other things, but uh, perhaps we'll talk about them in another segment. That's just a snippet of some things uh, George and I have found handy and uh, where to get them and uh, what some of the ins and outs are. Um, any questions or comments? Okay, I see Alan. Uh, Alan has mentioned uh, the Heiko. Yeah, Heiko is very, very good. It's awesome um, and a little expensive. Back to you, George. 
Thank you, Joe. Nice overview. Nice collection that you made here of uh, all of the good tools. Man, I, I can identify with almost every one of those. Um, as you said, over the years, we've we've been using these things. And even down to the most recent big edition was the Xtronic 4000 solder station. Um, the, I, mine is on every day. Every day I'm down here in the shack in my lab, and I'm, I've got it. I'm doing soldering of some sort. At one time, I kept it. I only started using it for just the precise stuff. But I keep, in general, I keep kind of a not the finest point tip on it, but the next uh, the next one down, and it suffices for everyday soldering, and um, it's just magnificent. And occasionally, I do need that hot air um, nozzle to take off an IC, a surface mount IC. And it, uh, there's no other way that it could be done, at least not from in, with my capabilities. So it, uh, it, that's that's probably a good one. Another thing I really love there, out of the things that are shown, are the Dremel. A Dremel tool, as you might think. Many guys have it. Few have used it. I mean, I've been using mine a lot. I've even done some routing recently with a routing adapter with some woodworking. And it uh, works really, really nicely. So... Uh, hopefully this has been a good list for, for uh, listeners and uh, maybe to give you a little bit of guidance as far as how to stock up your workbench, your work area, your workshop, uh, if you really want to do home brewing on a, on a pretty good basis. And it doesn't cost that much, and it's kind of things you can collect over time, birthday presents, Christmas presents, presents to yourself. When next time that you're out at uh, Harbor Freight, you can see something, grab it. Chances are you're going to use it. Okay, let's let's transition into the last section for the uh, uh, the program tonight, which is part three, a cool product of the month. As I indicated, uh, um, this is a weather band and same data receiver. Now, what the heck is same? Well, we're going to find out what that is. And this uh, for for podcast listeners who don't have access yet to the whiteboard. This is a weather receiver, a weather band receiver, like you've never really seen before, perhaps. A little circuit board, a little breakout board that can be interfaced to um, by a controller, <laughs> just say, like an Arduino controller, coincidentally. And um, uh, Frank, can you tell us about the uh, this breakout board, the experimentation that you've been doing? This is the first board of its kind, actually, as I've been reading up on it too. And um, what what you've started doing with it? We uh, we were playing with it at uh, our um, New Jersey QRP club meeting on Saturday when we got together over there uh, in the Brooklawn, New Jersey area. And I took a quick video out from my camera and I turned it into a YouTube and I embedded it here. And you actually see Frank and my, you see, you know, you hear me and Frank, but you see the board and Frank's little experimental uh, setup there. But Frank, why don't, why don't you kind of walk us through here? What What is the weather band receiver? What is same data? And uh, what are your plans? What do you think you can do with it? Thanks, George. Um, this is a chip. It's all based on a chip uh, from Silicon Labs. It's the SI4704. Uh, they call it the Weather Band and Same Data Receiver. Uh, Silicon Labs bills it as the industry's first weather receiver uh, that includes specific area message encoding or same processing on the chip. It's a pretty nifty little chip. It's a tiny little thing. It uh, comes in a QFM package, which is about three millimeters square. Uh, it's definitely not something you're going to want to try to solder by hand. Some of the features on this chip is uh, support for the weather band as it's used in the U.S. and Canada, which is from approximately 162.4 to 162.55 megahertz. 
Uh, as we mentioned, there's a same processor on board. Uh, there's a tone decoder on the chip to decode the presence of the 1050 hertz alert tone that is also sent. Uh, it's got a uh, synthesized VCO on board. It's obviously digitally tuned, has a programmable clock, and it runs on 2.7 to 5.5 uh, volt supply. Just uh, stepping down the whiteboard a little bit below the embedded video, there is a block diagram of the chip, uh, antenna input on, on the left, a external reference clock that has to be provided in order for the chip to run, along with power in. Along the right-hand side, there's left and right audio out. Although this is not a stereo signal, it does produce two monorail channels that are identical. Uh, the chip has two general purpose I.O. pins, and then it has the control interface, uh, which supports a couple of different things, including I squared C, which is what I'm mostly focused on uh, working with the Arduino. Uh, just take a break here and see if there's any questions so far. Yeah, Frank, uh, not a question, but a comment. Sure, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, uh, SI Labs also makes receivers for the FM broadcast band, which is probably where that uh, left and right channel came out. And they also make at least, not sure if it's SI Labs, but probably one of their affiliates makes some um, at least VHF, UHF receiver chips and perhaps transceiver chips that are um, uh, very similar, um, at least similar in internal functions that I believe are the basis of those uh, $50 um, handheld radios, two-way radios we're seeing coming out of China these days. Ah, very good. Thanks for the uh, clarification. Uh, moving, we'll move on down here on the uh, whiteboard. I'm sure most folks here, if not all, are familiar with NOAA Weather Radio, which nowadays is billed as an all-hazards information service. Um, it broadcasts weather-related warnings, watches, and forecasts as well as other hazard information around the clock. Uh, as part of the somewhat recent overhaul of the system, they'll broadcast non-weather-related emergencies, national security, uh, national, natural disasters, environmental concerns, public safety uh, events such as Amber Alerts. The U.S., Canada, and Bermuda have standardized on seven frequencies uh, for disseminating this information. As it states, all stations will transmit a 1,050 hertz tone immediately before they issue a watch or a warning. Uh, those who remember about 15 years back, there were many receivers on the market that would detect that tone, sound an alarm, and then unsquatch the receiver so that you could hear it. What's happened uh, about 10 years back was there was a decision to go ahead and expand that capability, and that's where SAME came from, which stands for Specific Area Message Encoding. This is a rather obnoxious sounding bit of data that you hear uh, before the 1050 hertz tone. I'm sure everyone has heard it. There is a link on the page to a uh, OG file, which is an audio file that has a uh, sample of what this sounds like. This data is uh, transmitted AFSK at a rate of 520 and a little bit bits per second. The decoder on the uh, Silicon Labs chip can decode this data and provide it out the I squared C bus. So now on to the actual cool product part. Uh, 
being that this is such a tiny chip and it would be really hard for, for most people to solder, uh, SparkFun Electronics has gone ahead and put together what they call a breakout board. Now, that's the bright red circuit board shown a little further down the whiteboard. Uh, this contains the 4704 chip. It contains the crystal oscillator that's needed and some other supporting circuitry. If you scroll a little further down the whiteboard, there's actually a schematic of this breakout board. Uh, as you can see up top, there are two pins for an external antenna provision. The way the board ships, it will use the headphone jack wire as an antenna. This is configurable by some solder pads on the underside of the breakout board that are obviously not pictured. Down on the bottom, we've got left and right audio outputs with a center ground pin. And along the left, we've got the two GPIO pins, and then the signaling pins, reset, sense, uh, the clock, the I.O. pin, ground, and the 3.3 volt supply. Uh, SparkFun has this configured to operate on 3.3 volts. I believe that sums it up. There is a, a link here to the product on SparkFun. Uh, they sell the breakout board for $29.95, which is a pretty reasonable price considering the chip itself runs about $16 in single quantities. Uh, saves you from having to source all the other components making that board. Uh, the, the board itself is pretty easy to interface. Uh, it will speak uh, I2C. I currently have it interfaced to an Arduino. Uh, there is programming data available from Silicon Labs down at the bottom of the whiteboard. There's links to the data sheet for the chip. There's a link to the programming guide for the chip, which is absolutely essential uh, for programming this thing. And SparkFun has also released some open source example code uh, which is available from GitHub. We have a link to that as well. I'm going to take a quick break and see if there's any questions. Uh, is this chip something that's brand new in the marketplace, or has it been around for a while? I was thinking that if, it, if it's uh, new, we're liable to see a whole new generation of very low-cost uh, commercial uh, radios built around it. Yeah, Rick, from what I understand, the chip itself has been around at least a little while, but uh, apparently Silicon Labs is not uh, very interested in dealing in small quantities. So until very recently, uh, it was hard to get your hands on one of these unless you wanted to buy a couple tens of thousands of the chip. Uh, so recently, now it's it started to come on the market. DigiKey uh, has the chip available. Now the SparkFun breakout board. Uh, what really drew this to me drew me to this when I saw it for sale is uh, like probably a lot of people I have one of the commercial weather receivers and it's great and, and I like the fact that when there's an emergency it alerts uh, but what I don't like is getting woken up at 4.30 in the morning for an amber alert. Um, that's happened several times. I, I, it's definitely something I want to know, but I don't need to be woken up in the middle of the night for that. I, I already have a, a baby that wakes me up all night. I don't need anything else. Um, Looking on the market for a highly customizable or configurable weather receiver, uh, there's nothing out there that's really affordable. If, if you want to uh, configure the receiver on an alert-by-alert alert basis or if you want to have it send the data out to a PC or another piece of equipment to do something, either uh, send a message out throughout the house or maybe send a text message to a cell phone, um, you can't find that unless you're willing to spend a couple hundred bucks. Uh, here's something that you, you can buy for $30. You can slap it on the $5 Arduino. 
you write some code, you make it work the way you want it to, and uh, he can have some fun doing it. Uh, once I get the basics working at this point, uh, we're... We have control over tuning, uh, control over the audio level, the mute. I am able to uh, detect when a same tone, uh, when same data uh, occurs, and I'm able to capture that from the chip. Uh, my next move is to process the uh, same data. Uh, there's also a link down at the bottom of the whiteboard to a PDF file on the NOAA site, National Weather Service site, uh, that describes in great detail the format of the same packet. Uh, they are, it's a highly structured data uh, segment that's pretty easy to process. I just need to write that code. All righty. The, um, thanks a lot, Frank. And what I did, I did not have at first the um, the link activated for the OGG file, and I'm not sure that if I played it now, if it would go, it would be able to be transmitted using the same codec in my computer, whatever. So what I did is I converted it to MP3 uh, such that anybody could read and listen to it with their um, with their MP3 player or their or their Windows Media Player. So the link is activated, and you'll definitely hear that obnoxious tone and recognize it. And I'm looking forward to seeing some of the data come across the uh, whatever display that they've got going on that um, with the weather alert. And I, 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 I suggest that this can be a really interesting node in the ham station mesh network um, and uh, tying it into things like time and temperature and um, control of different equipment and so on is a pretty cool thing to do for... Uh, for him with uh, intentions to be monitoring and controlling his world. All righty. Um, great, great stuff. Great experimentation. And if you get a chance, watch that, <clears throat> the video link, the YouTube link that we posted for, uh, for Frank's uh, project. And uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. All right. We're going to wrap her up for tonight. Are there any other questions on people's minds that you'd like to, uh, to bring up before we shut her down here? Something from, last week, something that you'd like to see going forward, or um, whatever. Go ahead. Alrighty. Hope everybody had a good time listening, and uh, please, by all means, try to get some of these uh, tools onto your bench. Um, sure it would be fun to have some others building up the Arduino project along with us, and uh, experimenting and helping us explore new territory and get some new functions on there. It, uh, it's fun as a group project, but it's only a group project if more than one or two guys are doing it. So uh, if you're doing it, let us know. If you're a podcast listener and you're following along, let us know. Let everybody know by means of the chat with the designer um, email server and post it there in the, uh, in the Yahoo group. So 73 all, thank you very much for coming out here tonight and listening along. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, uh, Frank, for uh, great material. And we'll see you all in two weeks on Chat with the Designers. Bye-bye.